want to read this morning for our scripture, our theme verse for reach, which is Mark 1, 38. And I'm going to read it in the Urdu language, which is the sixth most spoken language in the world. Usne yun se kaha, aao hum aur kahi aspas ke shehron mein chalein, taake main wahan bhi manadi karoon, kyunke isi liye nikla hoon. Now, if you'll take your Bibles and we will read in English our text for this morning. Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 29. Mark chapter 1, verses 29 to 39, and I'll be reading today in the NIV. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Jesus was a remarkable man. He was an unusual man. He was a surprising man. And he was an astonishing man. Because he was more than a man. He was the God-man come down from heaven to earth to show us the heart of God in all of his grace and truth. And that is why we at College Park Church, like any true church of Jesus Christ, have a singular passion. And that is we want to follow Jesus. Because we believe him, we worship him like we've done this morning. Because we love him, because he is our head, we follow him as best we can. And that's why it's important for us to read stories about Jesus. Because if we want to follow him, we have to know him. We have to understand him. And so this morning we're going to take a deep dive into just one verse of scripture in one story in the Bible. A verse that for years I had just kind of skimmed over as a link in his story. But a verse that I hope today by the power of the Spirit of God will change the course of many of your lives here this morning. And some of you just got nervous, didn't you? (laughs) You're saying, uh, unless it has something to do with winning the lottery, I'm not sure I want the course of my life changed. I, I kind of overall like it pretty much the way it is, and you know what I'm thinking about, and you don't want it to be changed in those ways. But let me ask you this morning, if that is you, just consider this question as we begin to look at God's word. Who are you really following? 
And would you take just a moment in prayer and open your heart, not to my words, but to the Spirit of God and His Word for what He might want to say to you this morning through His Son. Jesus, we do love you. We're not very good at following you because we would prefer to follow our own hearts. But would you give us a fresh perspective today on your heart and give us the desire, as we've just sung, to follow you. We ask this in your name and for your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen. Mark chapter 1, look at what Jesus did in this passage. He had been in Capernaum, it says in verse 21, and on the Sabbath he went into the synagogue and began to teach. He drove out an evil spirit from a man that was there, and then in the afternoon Simon and Andrew took him to their house, and there Simon got some brownie points with his mother-in-law. Because, you see, she was ill with a fever, and he brought Jesus into the home. And when Jesus comes, something good happens. Jesus sees her, feels compassion for her, touches her, and heals her. Word spreads throughout the whole village, and so that evening, lots of people come to this home, and Jesus heals many throughout the evening. Now, the next morning, you might have excused Jesus if he had slept in a little bit late after a long day of ministry. But what does the text tell us? He was up early in the morning while it was still dark. He went out to a deserted place, verse 35, where he prayed. And here, a good reader of the Gospel of Mark will perk up his or her ears, because only three times in the entire Gospel does Mark ever mention Jesus praying, and all three times it's around a significant event. After the feeding of the 5,000 in the Garden of Gethsemane, and right here. Now you can imagine the picture that morning, can't you? Shortly after the sun comes up, people begin to gather around this home where they know Jesus is. They want more of Jesus because they love what he's done for them. So the groggy disciples finally get up. They hear this commotion outside the door. And who knows, maybe Simon put on a cup of coffee and said, why don't you just wait here and I'll go get Jesus. Goes back to Jesus' room, perhaps knocks on the door and there's no response. Cracks the door open, creeps in and... Jesus is gone. He's missing in action. And the disciples panic. Verse 36, Simon and his disciples went to look for him. That's a strong word that's used there. It means to fish or to hunt. They went on a manhunt to try to find Jesus. And when they finally found him, verse 37, they exclaimed with a tinge of frustration in their voice, everyone is looking for you. Jesus, don't you understand that you're losing precious opportunities to minister? Let's get back and get on the right track. And Jesus' response to them in verse 38 says, Actually, you don't understand the track that I'm on. Let me explain it to you. So he says in our theme verse 38, Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Somewhere else. It's a Greek adverb of place, and it is not difficult to understand. The ESV translates it somewhat weakly, let us go on. But it's stronger than that. It means a different location, a different place. Jesus said we need to move. 
It was not hard to understand the meaning of his words. It was the purpose behind them that was a bit confusing to the disciples. And I would have loved to have heard the next few moments of conversation. Jesus, all these people need you. Your plan is coming together. They're going to want to make you Messiah eventually. Let's get with the program. And Jesus turns his face and walks on by and heads to the next village. Verse 39, so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. He had to go somewhere else. And my question this morning is why? That is a vital question for us to consider. You see, Jesus didn't just come down from heaven to earth to have a good time. If, if all he had come down to do was to chill, then why in the world would he have left the glories of heaven, of his home, to come down to this little speck of broken, filthy earth in the midst of his big universe? And that's exactly what he's referring to in verse 38. He says at the end of that verse, that is why I have come, literally why I have come out. And what he was referring to is leaving the glories of his home in heaven to come down to earth. He understood what Philippians 2 described in more detail, that Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to hold on to, but he emptied himself and, and he wriggled on, as it were, this suit of flesh and blood, and he lived for a while among us, and he bore our sorrows, he experienced our pain right up to death, even death on a cross. And I believe that all of that was in Jesus' mind when he says, this is why I have come out from heaven. And... What is the reason? What does verse 38 say? Why did he come out from heaven? Well, if you said to preach, you're right, but you've only got half the answer, like most of the commentators do on this verse. The reason he came to earth was to preach, but it mattered to Jesus where he preached. You see, there were two, I believe, great rivers in the soul of Jesus that formed his sense of mission and shaped it into a backbone of solid steel. The heart of God and the word of God. Do you remember what he had just been doing when the disciples came to him? He had been praying early in the morning. Why was he doing that? He had just spent a day ministering to people. He was in the world. He was being pulled and tugged. And he needed some time alone with his father to reconnect with his father's heart. And that's exactly what prayer is. E. Stanley Jones said this about prayer. He likened it to a time exposure to God. He said our lives are like a photographic plate, which when exposed to God increasingly bear his image in proportion to the length of time of exposure. So Jesus was getting his heart back in tune with the heart of his Father. And when we do that, we will see that the heart of God beats for the lost. You see, we're drawn into the heart of God because of his unfailing love for us. We, we love that intimate communion with him, at least I trust you do. But there's something about the heart of God that when we draw into it, it then has a centrifugal force that throws us back out. And this was one of the great rivers in the soul of Jesus that shaped his sense of mission. The other river in his soul was the word of God. He knew the eternal purposes of his father. And they were simply that he had been sent on a redemptive mission for all of humanity. 
See, Jesus was steeped in Scripture. He understood from Genesis 12 that the reason God chose and blessed Abraham was that all the families of the earth might be blessed through him. He had read in Exodus 9:16 that the reason God raised Pharaoh up and allowed his people to suffer under him was so that his name might be proclaimed among all the nations of the earth. Jesus had read Psalm 67 where the psalmist prays, Lord, bless us and make your face shine upon us so that all the nations of the earth may see your ways and hear of your salvation. And then Jesus also knew the prophecy that was written about him in Isaiah chapter 49. Where Isaiah, through the Holy Spirit, said this about the servant of God, Jesus Christ. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the nations that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. And then Jesus knew the end of the story as well. What would be written in a few decades by the Apostle John of that last great scene in heaven where the elders were going to be crying out to the Lamb of God, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and by your blood you have purchased men and women for God from every tribe and language and tongue and people. And if I stay in Capernaum, Jesus is thinking, how will people of every tongue and tribe and language hear about the blood that I shed for their salvation. He came to bring salvation to all, and so all must hear. And that's why he had to go somewhere else. Josephus writes about Galilee that the cities lie very thick, and the very many villages that are here are everywhere so full of people because of the richness of their soil that the very least of them contained More than 15,000 inhabitants. He goes on to say that there were over 200 villages in Galilee. Now the people in one village had just heard the gospel. Jesus had preached the kingdom of God to them. That left another 199 that had not yet heard. And so Jesus' heart says, these folks have had a chance. I've done my ministry here, but now we need to move on somewhere else so that the rest of Galilee can hear the gospel. Now, not all would respond. Not everybody in Capernaum believed. It is not our job to make everybody Christians because they're not all going to receive. Our job is to announce the kingdom and let people decide if they want to follow Jesus or not. And he had done that in Capernaum. The work there, in one sense, was finished and he was ready to move on. Now, you might wonder this morning what message is so important that Jesus felt the urgency of going to other towns to tell it. And if you are a good postmodern this morning, like some of you may be, you're probably thinking, well, what's wrong with the people in those other villages? I mean, isn't it okay for them to believe whatever they want to believe as long as they don't hurt anybody? That's how our culture thinks today, but it's not apparently how Jesus thought. He said, I have to go and I have to preach to them. And the word he used is a strong Greek word, which means to announce a declaration, a proclamation from the king. He was not going to these villages to discuss relative truth or to share ideas. He was going to preach that you have to believe in Jesus and repent to be saved. And that might offend you this morning if you are a postmodern. 
You might wonder at the hubris of Jesus to think that he had something that other people needed to have. You might even not really like our church because we send missionaries around the world to tell people what they need to believe. Well, the difference between you and us as evangelical Christians is simply this. We are just trying to follow Jesus. We believe him when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, it's not that we think we're better than other people. We're as bad as everybody in the world. But we have experienced the grace of Jesus and we've tasted his life and we want the whole world to have that same experience. To experience life in Jesus both now and for all of eternity. We love other people like Jesus did. And so we go somewhere else to tell them the gospel. James Boyce said this about our text today. He said, Jesus' words address the clear sense of purpose and mission that are already a part of Mark's story. It breathes of the power of forgiveness and healing that God has in store for the whole world. Within a few verses, that mission has taken us from the particular of one mother-in-law's sick room to the whole of Galilee and by implication to the whole world. Now, Jesus did travel throughout Galilee and Judea preaching the kingdom of God. But here's another question for you to consider. In his whole ministry of three and a half years, he probably only covered an area of maybe a couple of hundred miles. He didn't come close to finishing Isaiah 49, 6, to taking this gospel, this salvation, to the ends of the earth. So what was his plan? If you've never thought about that, you need to think about it pretty seriously this morning. Did he just come and share with a few people and then take off and hope something stuck? No, Jesus had a very clear plan because, again, this was ordained from all of eternity that this was going to happen. And here was Jesus' plan in a nutshell. He told his disciples in John 20, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, guys, I've had three and a half years. Airplanes haven't been invented yet. I couldn't get around to the rest of the world. I did what I could. Now I'm leaving. But just as I came down from the glories of heaven to come to earth, now I am sending you as my body to go and finish the job that I came to do. He has told us that we need to finish the job. In fact, he, he spelled it out very clearly for them. This was the main thing on Jesus' mind after his death and resurrection. It's interesting to look at the end of every single gospel, and this is the message he has for his disciples, that they now need to take this glorious gospel of salvation to all the peoples on the face of the earth. And right before his ascension in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, Now you need to go and be my witnesses in Judea and Jerusalem and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So did they? Well, you remember what happened in the book of Acts, right? Jesus told them, hold on, you need to wait a little bit before you start this job. Because you see, this job is too risky. It's too uncomfortable. It's too dangerous. And it is way, way too difficult for you as human beings to do it on your own. 
So you need to wait until you're clothed with power from on high. And then a few weeks later, what does Jesus do? He sends down power from on high. And you remember in Acts 2 how the Holy Spirit comes down upon the church and fills believers with the power of God. And now they were to be released to go to all of the nations with this message of salvation. But did they do that? It's interesting to read the first few chapters of Acts. See, apparently the early church didn't like to move any more than you or I like to move. And they just stayed stuck right in Jerusalem. God was doing great things. Thousands were being added to the church. There was much to be done in Jerusalem, but they forgot one thing. The somewhere else of their master Jesus. So God waits a while and then in Acts chapter 8 verse 1, here's what we read. A great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. Who allows persecution to his church? The head of the church, the Lord of the universe. And what happened because of that persecution? It says, and all except the apostles were scattered. Where? And here in a tinge of irony, he says, throughout Judea and Samaria. He's going back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. What they were unwilling and uninvolved in, God was now giving them a kick in the pants so that they would move out of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria. And it says in verse 4 of chapter 8, they spread the word wherever they went. Now they were getting the idea. God was supposed to spread out in the world and preach the word of the gospel wherever we go. And the rest of the book of Acts is how the early church, under the leadership of the apostle Paul, completed the mission as best they could that... God had given to them. Paul understood he had internalized this mission of his Savior Jesus. And he said in Romans 15, I have made it my life's ambition to do what? To preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, but where people don't know about him so that they can hear and understand and be saved. Is this Jesus your Jesus? Is this vision the heartbeat of your heart? If not, may I suggest this morning that perhaps you don't fully know the real Jesus. You see, this Jesus came to seek and to save the lost among every people group of the world. And did you notice what Jesus said in verse 38? He said, let us go somewhere else. How do you think the disciples responded when he said that? Did they say, actually, Jesus, no thanks. We have a better idea of how to do this. No, no. When the master says, let us, then we better. And that's why one of our six core values at College Park Church is the call to go. Because the Jesus that we love and try to follow is the Jesus that is seeking and saving lost sheep all over the world. So here's a summary of our our text today. If we take away one lesson, based on Jesus' example, we must be ready to move beyond those who have heard the gospel to those who have not heard. And the next question, and the one we're going to have to spend quite a bit of time on this morning, is simply, so who does that involve? And how? How are we going to figure this out now? How these principles apply to us 2,000 years later 
in Indianapolis, Indiana. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, is it possible that he wants you to move somewhere else? You see, place, geography is important to Jesus because that's where people live. And his plan has not changed for 2,000 years. He is still not willing that any should perish, but wants all to come to repentance. It is still only by hearing the word that people can be saved. And it is only as people go and tell them that they will be able to be saved. Now get this, just like the good news came down from heaven to earth because a person was willing to leave his home. So today the good news is only going to spread around the world as people are willing to leave their homes following their master. So you might ask, well, where all do we need to go? Uh, What is the situation in the world today? And do you remember last week, Uncle George gave us a map showing where the Christians and the non-Christians were in the world. Did you notice anything unusual about that? The Christians are kind of gathered in one part and the non-Christians are gathered in another part. And why is that? Well, here's a couple of graphics to help you understand. There are about 5 million people in the world today that make a full-time living from doing Christian ministry. And here's how they're dispersed around the world. 76% work in Christian countries. 24% work in non-Christian countries. Less than 1% work in countries with no Christian witness. How about those that are sent out as missionaries to actually cross a cultural barrier? 73% of them still work in predominantly Christian countries. A quarter work in non-Christian countries. And only 2% work in countries that have no Christian witness at all. Is that a problem at all? Do you see why we need to think about somewhere else? Another part of this equation is where the church spends its money. And a general survey overview of how much Christians spend on sharing Christ. Within Christian countries, we spend $163 billion. We spend $1.8 billion in non-Christian countries. And then just a little sliver in countries with no Christian witness. See, this is the world we live in today. And this is how the church has been attacking the problem. And it's why we're not making a lot of progress. Where are the Christians in the world today? This is the last map I'll show you, but it's an important one. Green, just to really simplify it, green is where there's lots of Christians. Yellow is where there are some Christians. And red is where there are virtually no Christians. So here's the question, what do we need to do? The the simplest way I know how to explain this map is, uh, have you ever had buttermilk biscuits where you got a, a bite of something that Tasted kind of nasty. What was that? That was the baking powder that didn't quite get stirred up well enough in the batter. It had clumped together. You know what I'm talking about, right? Well, if we look at that map, that is how the church looks today. We are all clumped together and we haven't been beaten up through the whole batter very evenly. And that's why we need to think about going somewhere else. Now, I need to stop here for a moment and acknowledge something. Um, I've, as you know, I was born overseas. I went to boarding school when I was six. 
uh, travel back and forth to the U.S. I never really had a place that I called home. And so when I was in college, it was very easy for me to think about going anywhere in the world. I was pretty much a free agent. Wherever God needed me, I was ready to go. Uh, I wonder if, if you are a free agent today. Or have you put certain parameters around where you're going to serve God? Now, I realize it may be harder for you than it was for me. I I understand that. You're good, red-blooded Hoosiers. Uh, You've got some roots down deep here. Maybe you don't like to travel. Maybe you didn't hardly pass pass Spanish in high school. Uh, Maybe for you, an adventurous meal is putting a jalapeno pepper on your cheeseburger. Uh, But no matter what it is... Are you truly a free agent willing to move wherever God would ask you to move? Maybe you're a little bit like Stubby this morning. Those of you who are new, that's our dog. Uh, We try to take him for a walk every day, and, and many days we'll say, Stubby, it's time to take a walk, and he's very sharp. He knows a number of English words, including walk. Sometimes when we say that, he disappears into the other room. Uh... And so we'll put this chain on him, we'll take him the first few blocks, we're kind of dragging him along and, you know, let's go for a walk, let's go for a walk. And every block we come to, he kind of turns around and looks towards home like, is it time? Is it time to go back? And then when we finally do a U-turn and head back to home, I mean, he just takes off. He pulls so hard on the leash that if I think if I had a skateboard, he would pull me all the way back home. Why is that? It's because Stubby loves home. He's... He's just like you and me. He's a lot like Bilbo Baggins. Do you remember that scene from The Hobbit? He had had a dinner party for Thorin and the elves who had been kicked out of their mountain and they were discussing plans to go back and recapture that mountain and get their treasure back and they wanted Bilbo to come along. Here's a scene from the movie. I often think of Bag End. I miss my books and my armchair and my garden. See, that's where I belong. That's home. But why did Bilbo enter the fray? Because the elves had no home. And what a great lesson for us today. You see, we need to understand that there are people around the world today who have no eternal home. And some of us may need to leave our temporary home so that we can provide for them through the gospel an eternal home. Remember, who are you following? You're following Jesus. There was a man in Luke 9 who loved Jesus and was very impressed with him. He wanted to be around Jesus and he came up to Jesus and said, I will follow you wherever you go. He was a great college park churcher. He had a passion to follow Jesus. And you remember what Jesus said to him? This was Jesus' reply. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And you, you're not willing to give up your books and your armchair and your garden for me? Jesus also said this. He said, No servant is greater than his master. 
You see, our master had no place to lay his head. Our master left his home in heaven. Our master came down and lived and suffered with us. And we're not willing to give up our large screen, high def TVs, our master bedrooms with master baths, our kitchens with all of their appliances, or whatever it may be that so draws your heart to this world, and you're not willing to give it up for your master? Are you greater than Jesus? You see, the problem is that it's not until our wills are out of the way that we can even hear God speaking about this at all. And how is it that we get our wills out of the way? That's what we need to do first, isn't it? The psalmist has an answer for us. He said in Psalm 4, 40, verse 6, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Now, what did that mean? Well, back in those days, when a slave was set free, he or she had the option of continuing to stay in the master's house as a freed person. But if they chose that option, they would stick their ear up against a doorpost and drive an awl through it, and their ear would forever be pierced, marking them as a willing slave of that person for the rest of their life. And what the psalmist is saying, and you need to go back to read the beginning of the psalm, he says, because God, you lifted me out of the mud and mire, You took me out of my slimy pit and you set me on a rock because you've done that for me. I give you my life and you can pierce my ear and make me your slave for all of my life. If you're here today and don't know Jesus, let me tell you, he would love to lift you out of your miry pit today. He is a savior. But when he does that, he does something else to us as well. He not only lifts us out of the miry pit, but he changes our hearts. And listen to what the psalmist says next. Here I am, I have come, it is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O my God, your law is within my heart. Do you see what had happened? His heart had been transformed by the redemption of Jesus. And the will of God was no longer something that he hated or that he struggled with or that fought with him, he said, now my will is your will. And that's the process of sanctification, isn't it? We keep working on that. But what you need to do this morning to get your will out of the way is to reflect on what Jesus has done for you in redeeming you and reflect on the Holy Spirit that he has put in your heart so that your will becomes totally one with his and you'll do whatever it is that he's asking you to do. And once you're in that position, then I need to ask a question again, which some of you were maybe hoping that I forgot. And that is, so who gets to go? You see, if we're the batter, if we need to mix it up some more, some of us have to pick up and move. And how do we decide who that is? Just last Sunday, Kaylee and Jesse Beer picked up with their four-month-old daughter, Evie, and moved to the Caspian area. This Tuesday, Carolyn Wiley will get on an airplane and fly to Sydney, Australia to minister to high school students there, leaving behind everything that she's known. So what? Did did they draw the short straw? I mean, how do we figure this out? Well, maybe, how about this idea? Should we do what David did when he had defeated the Moabites? Remember, he wanted to save some of them, so he had them all lie down in a big, long line. And he measured off sections of them. 
and every third section of Moabites he spared. So maybe we could do that. We could have all of College Park Church just lie down in a big row. Now that's not going to work very well either. Is it? How, how do we figure this out? You see, some of us need to move. And who is it? Well, not everybody is fit for cross-cultural work. Uh, there are certain gifts and experiences that make you more effective. But that's not an easy out for all of you. You see, part of my role here at the church as the missions pastor is to just counsel you and encourage you and to try to figure that out. But you need to start moving and then God is going to show you where you fit in best. But there's only one person who actually really knows who should go. And that is, of course, the Lord of the harvest. I I don't know for you and you're probably really glad I don't know. But Jesus does and he will tell you by his Holy Spirit. He will lead you if you're one that needs to move into the red part of the world. But my concern, and I've seen it in my own heart, and I've seen it in the hearts of other people for decades, is that we we shut off a part of our heart to the Holy Spirit when there's something that we really don't want to do. We we tell Him, we're going to follow you everywhere else. We'll do anything else you say, but, but I'm not leaving Carmel. I just can't do it. I have kids in school. I, this, that, and the other thing. And so we, we're not open to the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And if you don't mind, let me tell you one more Stubby story. Because Stubby is a perfect example to me of this exact attitude. Stubby's favorite place in the whole world to go is the farm. That's where my parents live in Noblesville. And he, as I mentioned earlier, knows English. All we have to do is say the farm word and he is going nuts. As soon as we open the car door, he jumps in the back seat and he sits there ready to go to the farm. Now, he's worried sometimes that I might drag him out of the car and not let him go to the farm. So you know what he does? He will sit in the back seat with his eyes just straight forward like this, not looking around anywhere. We'll we'll go to the window and we'll knock. Stubby, stubby. And he just looks straight ahead. (laughs) I don't hear you. I'm going to the farm. I don't care what you say. I'm in the car. I'm going where I'm going. It's cute, but it's tragic when we do that, isn't it? God, I'm in my car. I'm going where I want to go, and I don't care what you say to me. We're not open to the Spirit of God speaking to us and saying it's time for you to uproot and to move to the dark third of the world so that people there might hear the gospel. So finally, how do we do this? Let me, as we wrap this up, just try to help you with the how. You see, there's a role for everybody in this big task, and that's the good news. It's the assignment of the whole body. The first way that you can go is to go yourself. And this might involve a number of things for you. It might involve just beginning by going next door. Maybe you need to engage with your neighbors and folks at work that God has put you in touch with and begin to share the gospel with them. If if you're not doing that, then we sure don't want to send you overseas to do nothing either. So maybe today that's where you need to start, to go somewhere else and knock on your neighbor's house and invite them over. This year you'll be hearing more about what we're going to start next year, the multi-site program of College Park. We have a heart for our city, and so we're going to be planting multi-sites, Lord willing, over the next few years around our city. And God is going to call some of you to move and be a part of those multi-sites. You're going to need to go somewhere else to spread the gospel in our city. 
Some of you have actually sold your homes and moved down to Brookside. What a wonderful thing you've done. You have followed Jesus down to the inner city of our own city so that you can be light and salt to those needy people in the Brookside community. Well done. And maybe more of you need to do that. But all of that, my friends, is not yet enough. And why is that? The simplest way I can explain it is this. If every Christian in the world, wherever they were, was active in sharing the gospel, in other words, shared with everybody that they knew, still one-third of the world would never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I call it the dark third of the world. Their names are written on that unreached people group's wall out in the foyer. And I'd encourage you to stop by that and look at those names and those numbers. They will not hear unless somebody in the church of Jesus Christ goes somewhere else to tell them. You might go as a missionary, as a full-time worker for Jesus Christ. You might go on a vision trip. Like we talked about earlier, that would be a great way to start. But I think in the next 10 or 20 years, the majority of Christians that need to move around the world are not going to go as paid missionaries. They're going to go as professionals. We talked about this concept last year, and I want to remind you about it. We called it the Delta Force, and that's simply a way to describe this program. Basically, it's global relocation. It's, it's taking your job skills and getting a job in the red part of the world. And that's not that complicated. We want to deploy College Park Church people to engage the least reached. That's the red part of the world. And we want to help train you to go and do that effectively. And we want to hold you accountable and encourage you in that process. Last month, I was visiting two of our Delta Force people in the United Arab Emirates. And Yakin and Margie Becker, who are there with Lily, have been for six years, have this testimony that they want to share with us. Church, and you said there are about 85 uh, different nationalities at church alone. Uh, if you consider that there are only about 220 countries, uh, of which it appears that about 200 of them are represented here in the city, there wouldn't be a place in the world where more people of different nationalities could be found. Um, it is a country that, that uh, is Islamic by nature, but it allows freedom of religion uh, for other faiths. Um, there are about 120 churches here. Our own church is about 2,000 people. It's only about seven years old. It's very comfortable to live here. I feel like it's a safe place to be when Yahoo's traveling. It's a wonderful place to host guests. People like to come visit here. Um, there are lots of expat women to spend the days with. I think this is, this is a fantastic opportunity for people who, who want to minister full-time or people who, who want to approach it more from, from a uh, professional transfer because there are so many other nationalities. In fact, there are so many people here from countries that are difficult to reach in uh, Central Asia, in uh, Southeast Asia, in Africa. You can reach those people safely here. That picture of the Palm Island was actually taken from their balcony. Now, how many want to move to Dubai? Yeah, there you go. I knew I'd get some volunteers. 
Now think about this amazing opportunity. If you're a nurse, a doctor, an IT person, an engineer, a teacher, there are jobs for you today in Dubai. So why stay where you are? Why not explore those opportunities? There's a table in the foyer, a Delta Force table. A couple of guys there will help maybe answer some questions, give you a little direction. We're still trying to figure this out. But what it's going to take is you taking the skills that God has given you and moving to these parts of the world that many of them don't allow missionaries in at all. And there's lots of unreached people right there in Dubai that you can share the gospel with. What great opportunity is in front of us. There's a wide open window and we need to charge through it to go somewhere else with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you can go yourself. That's the first way to respond. The second way is you can go to those who have come. Our city has changed remarkably in the last 20 years. We have all kinds of immigrants from all over the world. And we have a ministry called Fish, Friends of International Students, that you can connect with an international student here at UND and just show them the love of Christ and share the gospel with them. We have opportunities in our city. And finally, you can go with those who go. Now, what do I mean by that? I don't mean, of course, jumping into their suitcase and going with them, but you can go with them just as effectively as if you were to do that, if you will get to know them, commit to pray for them, and encourage them in any way that you can. Friends, we want you to meet our missionaries that are doing this work around the world. And next weekend, we'll have 11 of them in. And over four or five days, they're going to be in different College Park people's homes over the evenings. And what you need to do is sign up online today, pick a day of the week or a missionary that you want to get to know, and go just hear their story. They're not going to hit you up for money. They're just going to tell you what vision God has given them to go to the red part of the world. And if God leads you to go with them in some way, that would be a beautiful thing. On Friday, our missionary women will be here to share stories of what it's like to serve Christ as a, as a mom or as a single woman overseas. Sign up for that online. And then Saturday morning, we have a men's breakfast where we're going to hear from the men what are some of the challenges and the joys of working among unreached peoples. This is your one opportunity in the year to meet our missionaries, to let the Holy Spirit connect you with whoever he would like you to be involved with so that you can go with them. And then God may lead you to a deeper involvement. We have Barnabas teams that pray for these missionaries every month. It's a fairly simple concept. You just get together. Many of those meet here at church on Sunday morning for 30 or 45 minutes. And you pray in depth for one of our missionaries in the red part of the world. You can go with them by praying for them in a Barnabas team. And you can learn more about that in the table at the back as well. How do you go with those who go? We have a man in our church who has done that better than anybody that I have ever known in my life. And I wanted you to hear the testimony of Dr. Charles Smith. Well, there were many factors that got me interested in missions, but the most important was definitely InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And only if a person is serious about letting Christ rule his life is he really... Uh, interested in giving his time, money, and his life to, to missions. God owns everything. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. We're accountable for the way we manage our time and our money. And, and we're, managed, we're accountable only for ourselves, not for someone else. 
I, I've found, found a way of illustrating this. Uh, I use a triangle. Ownership, stewardship, and lordship. God owns everything. He asks us to manage what belongs to Him. And then He holds us accountable for the way we, we carry out our assignment. Uh, I, as a senior in med school, I worked nights. There was one night when we weren't very busy, and I spent in, time in my room there at the hospital, uh, mostly on my knees, just praying to God as to what He wanted to do with my life. I was a senior, and I didn't know what I was going to be doing. Uh, and I wanted Him to know that I not only was willing, I wanted to be a missionary. In fact, I think I was sort of begging him to send me to the mission field. I have to say that, that these three years were the most profitable three years of my life. And I've often said, I hate to think of what kind of a missionary I would have been if I tried to go to India as a missionary without this experience. And I, I think the Lord knew what he, was, what he was doing when he put me to bed for three years. Well, near the end of my three-year fellowship, I, uh, we, I should say we began to contact mission boards to find one who would send us to, to India. And none of them were interested in, in taking a radiologist into their organization and sending him off to a a Christian medical school like Valor or Ludhiana. We thought that maybe we can teach at a school, but none of them wanted to send us. Well, this led to a real struggle in my life as to how we had felt led so definitely for seven years that God wanted us overseas, and now it looked like the door was closing. And had I made a mistake, or had God changed his mind? He didn't, he hadn't really led me apparently, to go overseas, but he led me to make missions uh, the number one priority in my life for the rest of my life. Well, in my lifetime, God has enabled us to partner with, well, I just added it up recently, went through my records, and it was with 181 missionaries. Missions is more than just writing a check. And I think as, as we're partners with missionaries, I feel a real burden to pray for them every day. And I've been praying for the missionaries I'm supporting every day for over 60 years. I set a goal as to what I thought I might be able to give to missions in a lifetime. Well, by the age of 65, when I've been out of medical school 41 years, I, I found that I'd only reached half of my goal. So I kept working, and I worked another 11 years and I reached my goal. I earned as much in the 11 years as I'd earned in the previous 45 years. I had to intentionally plan what I would do and what I would not do in order that I might be able to reach my goals in the use of my time and money uh, so that I could live my life for global outreach to the glory of Almighty God. I'm still pressing on towards the goal, that is the finish line, that I may gain the prize, that is the crown of eternal life, with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
There's a lot more to Charles's story. He's written a little booklet called What If I Don't Go Overseas? And these will be available for you. We've gotten a special reprint done just for reach. These will be available as you leave. But what Charles didn't tell you was that he not only supported 181 missionaries, but he supported many of them for 40 and 50 years. And two of those missionaries were my parents and ourselves. Not only financially, but Charles would send clippings of the IU basketball games. (laughs) And I would devour those in the days before the Internet. He was with me in Pakistan, even though he only went once in his lifetime. He had a son about my age who was quite upset with his dad in high school because as a doctor in Carmel, he refused to buy a color television when they first came out. Brad was the only kid on the block who didn't have a color TV and he didn't take kindly to it. Why? Because Charles had a commitment to do everything he could to take the gospel all around the world. And he did more from his home in Carmel for the cause of global missions than almost every missionary that I know. And you can do the same thing. What is the somewhere else for you? And how does God want you to take the gospel there? Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that the gospel came to us Because America is a somewhere else. Now we pray that you would take us and all that we have. And do whatever you would want as the Lord of the harvest. With us, with our homes and our stuff and our children and our money. To make the name of Christ known in every corner of this earth. Among every people group of the world so that you might receive great praise on that day when you come back to be glorified in your saints. We ask that in your name and for your sake, Lord Jesus. Amen. We encourage you to come back tonight at 6 o'clock for our monthly Fresh Encounter prayer service as we pray for the nations of the world and our missionaries. Tonight at 6 p.m., pray for somewhere else. Thanks.